you want to start this morning, we can turn back to Psalm 4. Try to look at Psalm 4 last week with you. And this week I want to talk to you about experiencing righteousness. Experiencing righteousness. Psalm 4, verse 1, David says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. David is, is calling out to God. He's recounting that God has, has given him relief before when he was in times of distress. And he calls on him to have his grace and mercy upon him. That God would show him his grace and mercy and hear his prayer. But notice as he addresses God, he says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David was blessed to see at this time in his life when he was probably on the run, he was, he was feeling the implications of his sin. He wasn't in a comfortable place in his life, but he was blessed to see that God was his righteousness. Do y'all see that? He says, O oh God of my righteousness. Hear me when I call, O oh God of my righteousness. The word righteousness in its simplest form means approved of God. That someone who is righteous is approved of God. Um, one definition that I found from Strong's Concordance was equitable. That means that they are right. It's someone who is right with God. Um, and, it, and it carries the connotation of justification, which is another biblical term of being shown to be just or shown to be right. And so David, at this time in his life, could cry out and say, Oh God of my righteousness. Last week I tried to speak a little bit about how God makes his elect righteous. See, if, if anyone is righteous today, if we have a right standing before God, it's not because of something we have done. It's not by works of righteousness, Paul would say to Titus, but by his mercy that he saved us. So for us to stand righteous before God is completely dependent upon what God has done for us. It would be, an, it would be what, what you would call an imputed righteousness, that God gave you Christ's righteousness and that Christ took upon your unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing to think about? Um, the, the verse that I used last week was 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, Speaking of God and Christ, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, it says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Have you ever thought about that? It was not that Christ on Calvary's cross just paid for your sins. You received double of the Lord's hand. Not only did he negate the sins you had committed, he imputed his righteousness to you. Isn't that amazing? He didn't just get you back. He didn't level set where you were back to zero. He actually imputed his righteousness to you, so you've received double of the Lord's hands. And so for all of God's elect, they are made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. That is our only plea to righteousness before God's eyes. Um, but God's elect, and David was among those who God had chosen to save, God's elect, we experience righteousness when we place our trust in God for our righteousness. We experience righteousness um, first and foremost in, in this time period in which we live through belief of the gospel. You know, it's amazing that, that, that David could write that God was the God of his righteousness and, and many of us today have trouble feeling righteous or experiencing righteousness in our own minds, in our own conscience. And we have so much more to look upon than even David did. We're living in one of the greatest times of human history, aren't we? Where we have the gospel that's been revealed to us. And so the only way that God's people experience righteousness 
is through believing the gospel. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, the gospel is the good news of, of Jesus, what he has done for you, what God has done for you. I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now, we won't go in depth on verse 2, but Paul is saying that the gospel which he has preached to them is, is going to save them if they do so. It's conditional salvation here, right? We know that salvation to heaven is unconditional. It was by the triune God who entered into covenant before the world began to save his people, and we are simply the beneficiaries of that covenant. We have nothing to do with it. We, we do not play a part in our eternal salvation. But here, he's saying it's, there's a condition placed upon this salvation that we keep it in memory. We keep the gospel that's been preached to us in memory. We recall it to mind. We think about it. We internalize it. And he says, this gospel that I preached unto you will save you if you keep it in memory, if you think about it, if you dwell upon it. And then he describes what the gospel is. For I, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul gives a summary of what the gospel is. It is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We sang number 29 in the Songs of Zion just a moment ago, a great song about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We'll hopefully celebrate next Sunday the resurrection of Christ in the, in the Easter service. And, 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 and what you, when you think about the resurrection of Christ, that was when he came for, out from the grave, that was proof positive that you had become righteous, that your justification had been secured, that your salvation was secure in him. And that's what the gospel message is all about, isn't it? About teaching us what God has done for us. Paul would tell Timothy that the gospel... We're talking about the gospel, the message of, of Christ's sacrifice for us, what God has done for us, that it brings life and immortality to light. That's, that's the purpose of the gospel, is to shine a light upon what God has already done for you. It shines a light, it focuses in on the righteousness which you already have. Does that make sense today? God's people are already righteous through the sacrifice of Christ, through the imputation of his righteousness to their account. That's what, that's what that literally means, is that, that the imputation of Christ's righteousness, he, we, God took his righteousness and, and placed it basically in, in our column for our righteousness. And because we are in him and, and God views us through Christ, it is of God that we are in him and we've been, he's been made unto us wisdom and righteousness, 1 Corinthians uh, 1 and verse 30 says. Uh, that's how we could be righteous before him. And so the gospel preacher, when he preaches a message um, uh, to, to God's children, uh, should, should be trying to preach a message in such a way that it reflects what God has already done for his people. Does that make sense today? What God has already done. We're, we're all about what God has already done for his people. Now I'm looking forward to what God's going to do for his people. <laughs> Um, but we're, the, the gospel points back to what God has done for his people. And there are many of God's elect children. And when I say elect children, those are people that will be in heaven, people that God chose before the world began, and they will be worshiping around the throne uh, for all eternity. There are many of God's elect people who he has made righteous at the sacrifice of his son on the cross of Calvary, but yet they struggle each and every day to feel that righteousness. They struggle to, to internalize that righteousness. They see themselves as, as, as broken sinners who don't add up. And when they look at their lives, they say, there's no way I could be righteous before a holy God. And I want to tell you, some of that's good, isn't it? We want to feel our brokenness, don't we? We want to, we want to feel um, our need for a Savior. But I'm going to tell you, God doesn't want you to stay there. He doesn't want to leave you there. <laughs> When you run to him for safety and security and for redemption, he wants you to experience that righteousness. He wants you to know what he has done for you. And so that's what I'm trying to, to preach about today is experiencing that righteousness that Christ has already secured for us. 
And I believe that the main reason that many of God's children struggle, there, there are multiple reasons that people struggle to feel that righteousness. Uh, part of it is by the way you live, right? If you're living in rebellion to God, God's not going to bless you with a feeling of peace in your soul. <laughs> Even if he has redeemed you, um, if you're living in rebellion to him, he's not going to give you a peace that passes understanding. And so that could be one reason, but, a, but one of the main reasons that people struggle to enter in and experience the righteousness that comes from God in their own heart, in their own minds, is because they, are, they, are, they have been under the influence of a gospel that has been perverted in ways to say that, that there are things they must do to, to, add, to, to gain their righteousness or ways they must live for God to see them as righteous. And, and as they struggle under that system, they struggle to feel God's righteousness in their life, God's peace in their life. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1 for just a moment. Paul, Paul says in verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Verse 15, he says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach. You know that Paul says, I am, I am ready. There's a fire within me to preach something. And here's what Paul wanted to preach to the church at Rome. He said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Do you know what mankind's greatest need is in this life? It's to hear the gospel and internalize the gospel. I like to, I like to learn new things. I like to, to, to read about things I don't know about. But I'm telling you, there's one thing that I need to be reminded of almost on a, probably on a daily basis, and that is the gospel. And that was Paul's great desire. This great uh, first century, you could call him a Christian missionary, he was going everywhere trying to preach the gospel of God, the gospel of grace to people. And it was, he was ready to do it. He had a fire within him wanting to do it because it's such a liberating message. <laughs> he wanted to see people, he wanted to see God's people freed from bondage. He wanted to see God's people understand what it was that Christ had done for them. And that's my desire. That's any gospel preacher's desire. Not only do I want you to know it, I, I want to preach it in a way that I understand it and I feel it because I need it. And so Paul says, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I don't, I don't, I don't know if you can read that and not feel a little shame yourself because how many times have we backed away from our zeal in the gospel because maybe we're met with opposition or we're around people who may not understand the gospel such as we do and, and, there, and there seems to be some cowardness in us. I think we need more people. I need to be more like this. You need to be more like this. We need more people that can say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And you know, the more you, the, 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 the more you uh, revolve your life around the church and, and God's word and God's people and God's gospel, you will find that there was nothing that will bring you shame in this gospel message, right? When you flirt with the world, you begin to, you begin to become ashamed of, uh, of the gospel because the world hates the gospel, right? If there's anything the world doesn't want, it's people who are free, <laughs> people who are liberated, people who feel that freedom. Christ said that he, he came to make us free, <laughs> Right? to give us freedom and the world doesn't want you the world wants you to constantly be in bondage the world wants you to be in bondage to uh, to, to its ways the world wants you to be in bondage thinking that you don't add up that you don't measure up and, and Christ isn't like that God's message is that you do measure up that you do meet all the qualifications not in yourself but in Christ do you see that that's what the message of the gospel is and so he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And basically what Paul is saying here is the, is the same thing he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That, that, that in belief of the gospel, in laying hold on the gospel and embracing the gospel and trusting in this gospel message, that there is power that comes from God and it will deliver you. Does that make sense? It will deliver you. Surely it does not deliver you from a state 
of eternal torment to a state of eternal bliss. Christ did that. But it will deliver you from this, this bondage that you don't add up. It will deliver you from the bondage of trying to establish your own righteousness through some set of laws or some, through some set of rituals that you must do. No, when you, when you begin to see the gospel of God's grace, it, it has the power within it. There is an inherent power in the, in the message of God's grace that delivers you from all that um, sorrow and all that depression that follows trying to work your way to God. Do y'all see that? And he says, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so we know that the gospel, as Christ sent his disciples, he first sent them what? To the, to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? He said, don't go in the way of the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the Jews. But we know that, that there, there came a time when the the keys of the kingdom that were given to Peter were used. And you can go to Acts chapter 10 where the gospel comes to Cornelius and to the Gentiles. And through the last 2,000 years, it's been, it's been primarily uh, the Greeks or the Gentiles that have been delivered through this message of salvation in Christ. Isn't that amazing? He came to his own and his own received him not. But there were, there were sheep, Jesus said, that were not of this fold that he had. And it's been that those Gentile believers uh, that have primarily carried on the church and have embraced the gospel that Paul preached. And he says this in verse 17. Speaking of the gospel, he says, For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. All right, do y'all see that? In the gospel, we're talking about experiencing righteousness. We want to be like David, where we can say, Oh God of my Righteousness. Where are you going to find that peace? Where are you going to find that message to embrace? Paul says, therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of man. Not a righteousness that comes from you, but a righteousness that, that was procured by God. A righteousness that flows from God. It is revealed in the gospel. That word revealed means to take off the cover or disclose. <laughs> See, when the gospel is preached in, in truth and in power with the blessing of the Holy Spirit, it, it reveals something to you that you haven't seen before. You, 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 you peel back a layer, you take off the top, and when you look inside, you begin to see the righteousness that God has secured for you. You know, I, I could title this message Internalizing Righteousness because because what I'm talking about today is I want you to experience the feeling of righteousness that, that is available to you, right? When I lay down at night and I think about everything that I've done in my life or I think about how I measure up to God's standards, if, if I'm looking to my performance to, for peace or for righteousness, I'm going to fall flat every time. Are you? <laughs> is there anybody in this, in this room today that can say, well, I look at what I did today or I look back at my last week, and yeah, I'm really measuring up to God's standards. If, if that's you, we're going to talk later, okay? <laughs> but if you, can, if you can look into the gospel and peel back the gospel and see what the gospel discloses, it discloses to you the righteousness that comes from God. And notice Paul says it comes from faith to faith. That's been the 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 process of God uh, propagating his gospel message throughout the centuries is that it was come from people who have faith and they were given that faith through the sovereign grace of God to other people that have faith and then they're using their faith to lay hold on that gospel message on what Christ has done for them. Does that make sense today? That's, that's, how, it, that's how it works. You know, if God's given you faith, you need to use it, Right? Then he says, the just, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now notice it doesn't say that the, that the just shall become just by their faith. But this is a verse about how we should live. We should live our lives by faith. Faith in the Son of God. Faith in the, in the one who the gospel is all about. Because it's only through a life lived by faith that we will experience this righteousness. 
Go with me to Galatians chapter 1. Because what I want to show you today is that if righteousness, if the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, then, then gospel purity is of the utmost importance to the church. Does that make sense? You want, you want a pure gospel because the implications of a perverted gospel are many, but, but one of the greatest implications of a perverted gospel or an unpure gospel is that it leaves its hearers and its adherents longing to justify themselves or longing to make themselves righteous. The Galatian church had this problem. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. It begins, it says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Verse 6. Paul says to these churches in Galatia, not just one church, this church that was impacted in this whole region, they were being influenced by a, a really a perverted or false gospel. He says, I marvel, Paul is saying, it blows my mind that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now notice, when Paul, Paul gives a biblical definition there of the gospel. It is the message of the grace of Christ. Any, any message that is preached to you that, that is not fully, uh, uh, any, any message that is paraded as the gospel that is, not, um, that is not completely made up of the grace of God or the grace of Christ is not the gospel, Paul is saying. That's what Paul is saying. That's not my opinion, that's Bible. Because listen to what he says, which is not another. He's, say, he's saying there's not, a, this, this gospel that you have been impacted by, this gospel that, that, that God has done, basically this is, the, the, this is the gospel message that they were hearing. God has done his part, but there's still things that maybe you need to do, right? He's saying that is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He says they pervert the gospel first. That word pervert means to corrupt or to turn around. And what literally what is what has happened throughout history is the gospel of the grace of Christ, the gospel that points to what Christ has done, to the work that God has done to secure the salvation of his people has been turned around. And there are those who take the gospel message and they turn around what Jesus has done for you and, 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 they, and they turn that around to no longer point to what Jesus has done but to focus on what you must do. Does that make sense? They, they turn the gospel around from here's what God has done and they may talk about what God has done and they may focus on what God has done but when it comes down to the end the focus becomes but here's what you must do. They turn it around. That's a perverted gospel. Paul says, and listen to the importance of a pure gospel. God, Paul says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be accursed. So you can see that Paul is very concerned about the purity of the gospel message, the message of the grace of Christ. And why would Paul be so concerned uh, with the purity of the gospel message? And I believe that's because the, the, the pure gospel message of the grace of God alone, or salvation through God's grace alone, is the only message that truly frees God's people. Paul talked about in Romans chapter 10, a people who were going about to establish their own righteousness, right? He was, they, they were, they had a zeal of God. It was not according to knowledge. And he says the end result of that is they were going about trying to establish their own righteousness. That was in the first century. 
And there hasn't been a century that has ever passed where there haven't been groups of people who were under a teaching that, that drove them to try to establish their own righteousness somehow, whether it be through works-based systems, you know, trying to, um, trying to check off laws and, and trying to check off so many good works where your good works will outweigh your, your bad works, or maybe it's just a, it could get down to just believing in Jesus. <laughs> you know, if, 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 if your gospel message is that Jesus paid it all, and all you've got to do is believe, right? Then, then the devil <laughs> can use that to say, but did you really believe? Were you really sincere? Do you see how getting down to the, 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 the simplest thing added to the grace of Christ will leave room for, for yourself and the devil to nitpick at you to say, did you really do it right? And it robs you of experiencing the peace and the righteousness that God has given to his people. And so I want to close by looking at a real-life example of this in the second chapter of the book of Galatians. Paul, who had recounted his call by the grace of God to this church at Galatia, he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, then 14 years after... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus had not submitted himself to this Jewish ordinance, and he didn't want to be. He said he was, compelled, he was not compelled to be circumcised. Then in verse 4 it says, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily or secretly, they were smuggled in, and, and this, was, this was why they came in, to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage. Do you see that? He's saying there, there were false brethren unawares to others who brought in a message that, that, that you must continue to keep, maybe it's the dietary laws or the ceremonial laws or you can, you can be saved but you can't be saved without going through the rite of circumcision or it doesn't matter what you add to it. <laughs> The end result is bondage. Do you see that? Mental bondage. He says, and that because the false uh, brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now listen to what Paul says. To whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for an hour. Paul says we didn't, we didn't give in. We didn't even... Uh, we didn't even really communicate with them. We didn't even want to hear what they have to say. Why? He shunned that whole religious system. Any system that says Jesus did his part, but there's still something you have to do. He says, we, do not, we didn't have anything to do with them. No, not for an hour. And why is that? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. You say, why are you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints? The, the teaching of God's grace. It's because we want the truth of the gospel to continue with us and with our children, with their children, and with the people of, of the city of Birmingham. We want them to know the true gospel, don't we? We, we want to be ready so that the, the, the true gospel can be preached. We want to be like Paul, that we don't, we don't even... Um, we don't even contemplate that there would be something that we have to do. We don't want that bondage as part of our message. And so we want the truth of the gospel to continue with this church, with our families. And so in verse 6 he says, But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, on the contrary... When they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter, 
to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which we were also forward or eager, that's what that means, to do. So Paul, when he says that he communicated unto them the gospel that he preached in verse 2, that means that he, he laid out or set before them, like you would lay out on a table, here is what I have been preaching. This is the message that I have been preaching. And we see that when James and, and Peter and John and the, and the disciples who walked with Jesus, the early apostles, the first apostles, the ones who, who he says are pillars in the church, when they heard what Paul was preaching, when he laid out the message to them and they examined all the points of doctrine that Paul was preaching, they had nothing to add to it, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship, basically saying, we agree wholeheartedly with what you're preaching. Now go out and preach it. And if you want to know what that message was, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 15 and verse 11, Peter sums up the belief of the primitive or early church. He says, we believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. If you want to know what, is, what, what was the teaching, what was the confession of faith of the first century church, it was this, we believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, period. And so that's what, that's what Peter was preaching, James, John, that, that's the message that they they held to, that's the message that Barnabas was preaching, that Paul was preaching, and so they send them out. And they say, remember the poor. And, and Paul says, we, we already want to do that. But let's get to verse 11. Because remember, it's keeping the gospel pure is probably the hardest thing for the church to do. Right? Keeping the gospel. It, it can become uh, it can become so hard to keep the gospel pure as time goes on and as ideas arise within the church or outside of the church. And you can become tempted to you can become you can become tempted to compromise the message that you preach. You can become bewitched uh, by messages that you hear. And so the church is, uh, that's, this, here's the point I want to make. The church is here as the pillar and ground of the truth, right? We are the place where the truth is to, is to stay, where the truth is to be proclaimed. And we are to even... Even if we believe the truth, we can act in such a way where we disregard the truth. Does that make sense? And so we know that Peter and James and John believed the same message that Paul and Barnabas did. They gave them the right hand of fellowship. But it says in verse 11, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. And here we have a, a public dispute between the Apostle Paul and the apostle Peter. And here's what Paul was so upset about. Verse 12. It says, For before that certain came from James, from Jerusalem, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And so what you've got to understand is is, is is in this time, especially back in Jerusalem, there were people who were embracing the message of Jesus, but they couldn't give up. They couldn't give up their prior religion. They couldn't give up their dependence upon the law. They couldn't give up uh, the, the, the ways in which they had, uh, they had been taught their whole life. We can understand that, can't we? It's very hard to disregard 
uh, everything you've ever known and, and change your whole mindset and change everything you believe and, and go in 100% wholeheartedly. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Paul is, Paul is, is really begging or, or he's trying to motivate those first century Hebrew Christians not to go back to the, to the bondage that they were once under. And so there were people in Jerusalem who were, they, they, they basically have, you, have one, you have one foot in and one foot out of the gospel. You're kind of, you, 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 you believe Christ had done his part, but there's still something that you have to do. And, and here it's, it's the dietary laws. Because Peter, Peter knew, Peter had seen the vision to call, there's nothing that is common or unclean. Peter had gone to Cornelius and, and Peter had been questioned about that. And he had defended himself. But there were some that came from James. It doesn't say it was James, but there were those that came from James. And maybe these were zealous about the law. Or they, maybe they had some church fellowship with the Gentiles, but outside of that, they weren't going to eat with them because they didn't follow their kosher dietary laws. Or, or maybe they still had, they kind of looked down upon them, upon the, the ways that they handled themselves, and they weren't following all the, the rules and regulations that, that Judaism has imposed on them for so many years. And so when they come... Peter sees that they are there, and he withdraws and separates himself from the Gentiles in which he was worshiping and fellowshipping. And the reason he did that is not because he was doing something wrong, but because he feared those. He feared those of the circumcision. There's a proverb in Proverbs chapter 29 that says, The fear of man brings a snare. And it is so true that as we begin to fear man more than God and that's what Peter's doing here it is a trap for us nothing good's going to come of that it says but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe I believe is how that proverb ends there is safety in trusting in the Lord putting your hope in the Lord and, and here's another point we can make from verse 12 is that here is their leader Peter is the leader in the church Maybe you're a leader. There's some of you that are leaders in this church. People look up to you. If you've got children, your children are looking up to you, right? The children are watching how the older people behave themselves in the church. If you're a dad or, your mom, or a mom or a grandparent, you've got people who are looking up to you. Maybe you're a leader in your workplace, wherever that may be. What you do impacts others. How, how I lead in this church impacts others. A church seldomly rises above its leadership, right? If I'm not zealous, if I'm not um, excited about the cause of Christ, it's, it's very uncommon that the church will be really excited if the pastor's not, right? And so Peter withdraws himself, and it says, And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. And that word dissembles is, is, a, is a word that describes hypocrisy or concealing your true motives or feelings. And so they knew that what they were doing was not wrong. They knew that what they were doing did not condemn them in the eyes of God. They knew that they had been made free from the law system, that Christ had, 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 had completed the law, that Christ had fulfilled the law on their behalf. But yet they dissembled themselves likewise, insomuch that Barnabas, Paul says, was carried away with their dissimulation or their hypocrisy. Barnabas was Paul's companion and Paul's encourager and the one that would stay with Paul and, and strengthen Paul. And, and I can almost, can't you almost feel his tears when he says, in so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Verse 14, he says, But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Now listen, Peter knew the gospel. Peter was preaching the gospel. I'm not indicating to you that in any way Peter was preaching a perverted gospel, but he was living in such a way that he wasn't walking according to the truth of the gospel. And many of us can understand the true grace of God, but yet at night when we're, when we're, when we're alone or when we're in the depths of our mind and we begin to, to question our righteousness, we begin to question our justification, we begin to question God's love for us, we don't look to the cross, we don't look to God, we look to our own performance for our righteousness. 
How am I doing on my Bible reading plan? How am I doing on my prayers? Why did I say this? Why did I do that? Why did I watch that? And we, and we focus on all those things and pretty soon we begin to despair and we become depressed and we become sorrowful. And, and, it, and it's not that we're just like Peter. It's not that we believe a false gospel. It's that we're not embracing the true gospel. We're not internalizing it. We're not experiencing it. And so when, when Paul saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, as not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? You know, it was Peter who in Acts chapter 15 said, Why are you trying to put a, a, a yoke of, of bondage around their necks that we couldn't handle nor our fathers could handle? And Paul is, is saying back to him, why are you trying to live in such a way to compel the Jews to meet some kind of standard that you couldn't meet? That our fathers couldn't meet? That the nation of Israel couldn't meet? You know, the, the purpose of the law, when God gave the law, you can look in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. God gave the law not to show us here's what you can do to make it to heaven. God gave us the law to show us you will never be able to do what it takes to get to heaven. And the only way you'll experience righteousness is by putting your faith in Christ who fulfilled the law on your behalf. And so he's saying why are you doing this? We, verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. He's saying we now, we had the oracles of God. We've had the, the laws. We've had the teachings. And we, even by our own nature, couldn't live up to it. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Verse 16 is what I've been working towards. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul, Paul is saying to him here, there is no justification by keeping the law. There is no, you won't be justified before God. You will not experience justification in your heart and in your mind if you are looking to keep the law. If you are looking to your own performance, I know I'm running out of time. Justification, justification in its simplest form, and remember righteousness and justification are synonymous with one another, right? If you're made righteous, you can be declared just. And it's a, it's a legal term, so it's the, the, the easiest way to think about justification as it's taught in the Bible is it's a courtroom term. That, that you are, it's, it's a declaration that's made upon an individual, whether they are just or not, right? Whether they are right or wrong. And, and the Bible teaches us that we are justified before God by His blood and by His grace. I won't go to those verses, but you can look at the book of Romans, the book of Titus. It says that in Romans 5 or in Titus chapter 3 that we are justified by Christ's blood. That's why we can be saved from the wrath to come. Or we are justified by, his, by God's grace. And so the only way that you're going to stand before God and He can look at you and declare that you are just is not by something you've believed or a prayer that you've prayed. It is simply by His grace and blood, right? But the Bible teaches that we can be justified by works. Now how are you going to harmonize that, right? Well, the only way that, that others can look at you or that you can look at others and say, that's somebody who is justified. That's somebody who's been made righteous. is by what they do, right? That's how, it, doesn't, it, it, it really doesn't matter what they say. It's what they do. By, your, by their fruits you shall know them. So James talks about Abraham being justified by works and Rahab being justified by works. Go home and read, I think it's Luke chapter 5, where those four men bring their, their friend to Jesus and they lower him down through the, through the rooftop. Y'all remember that, 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 uh, that story? And, and it says that Jesus seeing their faith. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody uh, doing something or seen some, maybe you see somebody praying or somebody doing a good deed and you can see their faith. They were justified in your own mind. You can say, that's one of God's children. I can see what they're doing. But then there's justification which takes place in your own heart, in your own mind. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. You can read that tonight too. Y'all got a lot to read. <laughs> he talks about how, how grace is our, 
grace is the key to access the grace room we're already standing. It doesn't, it doesn't make grace applicable to your case or to your life, but it, it just it accesses that grace so that you can feel justification in your heart and in your mind. And that, that is what Paul is saying here, is by perverting the gospel or walking in ways that are contrary to the gospel, you are robbing people of that blessed peace that comes with knowing that your justification is all through Christ and nothing that you do. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law. He closes that verse by saying, For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You are never going to be justified by keeping the law. You will never, it doesn't matter if it's the Ten Commandments, it doesn't matter if it's just, remember we preached a few weeks ago about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. If you lay down at night, every night, and say, that's the only thing I've got to do is love God with everything I've got, you'll find every day, well, I didn't love him here in this situation, or I didn't love him there in that situation. And he says, even we, he says, remember, Peter, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, that we might experience the peace that comes with knowing that we are just, that we are righteous. And how does that come? By the faith of Christ. By, by a faith that, first of all, comes from Christ. And by a faith that ends with Christ is the substance of this faith. Christ is the end of this faith. It is all in Christ. That all my hope is in Christ. That, 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 that everything I have, everything that I believe for, the, the hope that I have, the, the faith that I have, the, 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 the peace that I have, knowing that, that, that I am right with God, it all comes from Christ. Do you see? If you're looking to find your peace in anything outside of Christ, you will find yourself lacking and, and falling short each and every time. Listen to what John Gill, Baptist writer, said. It's, it's not that faith as before, not that faith as before observed has any casual influence on justification. These Jews did not believe in Christ in order that by their believing to procure their justification before God and acceptance with him, but that they might receive by faith this blessing from the Lord in their own conscience and enjoy the comfort of it and all the spiritual peace which results from it and which they could not find in the works of the law. He's saying, Peter, you're trying to send them back to a system where they'll never find peace, where they'll never find happiness. And the only way that you're going to find that is not through keeping a, a, a law, whether it be the law of Moses or whether it be a, a law that someone else has created. Whatever it is, you will never experience the peace in your own mind of knowing that you are right with God unless you 100% place your trust in Jesus. I want to I read this. We'll, we'll close. This is the song we sang as our transitional hymn. Number 302. It says in verse 2, this is, this, this is so many of our experience poetically. It says, Enwrapped in thick Egyptian night and fond of darkness more than light, madly I ran the sinful race Secure without a hiding place. Have you ever been in that? When you were in the world, when you were madly running the sinful race and it didn't bother you, you were secure. You didn't need to hide from it. He says, but thus eternal counsel ran. Almighty love arrest that man. I felt the arrows of distress and found I had no hiding place. Some of y'all have experienced that, haven't you? When you've been touched by the grace of God and all of a sudden you weren't comfortable running the race of sin anymore. You weren't comfortable to be wrapped in, in the world. That's what the Egyptian night references there. You, weren't, you were no more fond of the darkness. You wanted the light. You felt those arrows of distress within your heart, but you found that there was no hiding place for you. In verse 3 he says, Indignant justice stood in view. He felt himself to be a sinner. He felt the justice 
of God was due to him. He felt that God's judgment should be given to him. And he was, he was longing to appease this God. And so what does he do? What so many do? He says, to, fi- to Sinai's fiery mount I flew. He, he, he flees to the law. He flees to the commandments, the Ten Commandments, the commandments of God. He says, I, I flee to them and I will, I will keep them, God. How many people have made that, uh, that promise to God that they, they feel themselves to be a sinner and they say, God, I will, I will do this or I will do that if you will love me. But justice cried with frowning face, this mountain is no hiding place. Ere long a heavenly voice I heard and mercy's angel form appeared who led me on with gentle pace to Jesus as my hiding place. I love that song. That's the only place you're going to experience righteousness. It's not looking to the law, not looking to your ability, not looking to the things you do, but 100% looking to Jesus and what he did for you. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of this life. Thank you for this church. We pray everyone here can go home tonight and, and, can, and can feel the sweet peace of knowing that Jesus was enough. That we can put our faith in him for our hiding place. Not run to the Mount Sinai, to the law for our hiding place, but rest in Jesus Find refuge in Jesus. Find hope in Jesus. Feel security in Jesus. Lord, would you open up doors of opportunity for us for evangelism in Birmingham to show others what Jesus has done for them and the peace which comes through knowing that Jesus is enough. As we go into our our week, we pray that you'll bless each and every one represented here with health, with a, with a feeling of your nearness. Those who are traveling, we pray that they'd have safe travels throughout the week. We pray for our Easter services coming up. Pray that, 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 that your son would be the focus of this church and the focus of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time, give an opportunity if you'd like to unite with this church. Uh, we'll give you the opportunity to do so. Brother Taylor, Brother Joshua, do either of you have a song?